Some of you maybe uh, have picked up your handouts and looked at the topic and wondered to yourself, why? Why is he tackling this topic? Well, I'll tell you why. I tackled Islam, and the Islamic terrorists didn't get me. So tonight we'll go after the feminists. We'll <laughs> see if we can survive that. Actually, that's not the reason. Uh, <laughs> this is an interesting topic, an important topic, and I'll explain a little bit about why we're tackling that as our last understanding the times topic of the, of the year. Uh, we, we talked about unity for the last few weeks on Sunday mornings, and I didn't cover this topic, I didn't mention that in there, although it could have been one, but I thought it needed a little more time than three or four minutes and didn't really have time for a whole message on it, so I thought it fit with understanding the times. Uh, it kind of ties all of the understanding the times together uh, because it's a matter of societal change, culture change. Uh, it's a matter of what we feel instead of what we think. Uh, that we started off the year talking about it. It's a matter of preference, taking precedence over what the Word of God perhaps says. Uh, and all in all, it's, a, I think, a very instructive study of how we've got to where we are. Uh, all of our understanding the times have been kind of like that, but this one is probably more amazing than any of them, really. Uh, the speed with which the church particularly has changed and is changing, uh, and the methods that that happened through, which we'll talk about more next week. Uh, so I think it's very much worth considering. Uh, suppose that this week when you got the bulletin, there was an announcement in there that Northside was appointing three new deacons, and they were all females. And you came to church Sunday, and a woman got up and did the Lord's Supper talk. A woman led the singing. And then at the end of church, the elders got up and announced that they had hired a new staff member, a new co-preacher, uh, to relieve me a little bit, and she was a female. That's not normal in the churches of Christ, but it's not unheard of either. Uh, if that happened this week at Northside, my guess is there would be a few folks who would say, well, that's cool. Okay. Uh, not much background, not much tradition, not much history within the churches of Christ. And I said, well, that's okay. Uh, some probably wouldn't notice. There are folks that just show up and do their thing on Sunday morning and don't pay much attention to God's Word or what's going on. Uh, some of you would leave of your own accord and never come back. Uh, some of you would leave in an ambulance. You know, the, and if you survived the stroke, uh, <laughs> you might come back sometime. Uh, it would create all sorts of strange things at, at Northside because Northside uh, doesn't understand things that way, doesn't practice things that way. But from what we're going to look at tonight, 
uh, things are changing in this old world, and we got to understand the times and know what to do about it. So that's where we're headed tonight. Uh, what's most amazing about the change that's taken place in the religious world and in the churches of Christ also uh, is that it's happened after 2,000 years of complete uh, agreement and practice of male spiritual leadership. Uh, this isn't something that just happened in the in our times or uh, unique to the times. For 2,000 years, everybody, all elements of Christianity, from the most uh, orthodox to the most radical, uh, up until 50 years ago, male spiritual leadership was just understood. That was what was practiced, uh, especially in public roles, but also in leadership roles. Uh, in the past few decades, uh, many denominations have started to move women into public worship roles, uh, also teaching roles and governing roles, and there are some churches of Christ following suit. Well, how do we understand that? How do we understand the times, and how do we know what to do? So tonight's mostly going to be the front page here, the signs of the times, and just a little bit about understanding them. Uh, and historically, which we've done on all of these topics, before 1800, uh, basically there weren't any Christian groups that had any kind of female leadership or participation in public roles or anything. Now, there were a few after 1800. Uh, the Society of Friends, Quakers, have had women ministers since 1800. Uh, and there's a few other small, uh, isolated groups or denominations uh, that have sanctioned that and done that kind of thing. But in general, it just was unheard of. It just wasn't done for for whatever reason. You can blame it on male chauvinism or history or whatever you want to blame it on, but it just didn't happen. Okay. Then the 60s came along, and the 60s started all kinds of things. <laughs> my, my generation of the 60s, for some reason, just precipitated all kinds of societal change, and one of them was females' role in things. Uh, and that took a little while to bubble through to religious groups. But about 1980, denominations started making these kind of changes, uh, putting women in worship roles and public roles and ordaining uh, females and uh, all of that. And it's pretty well commonplace now in a lot of the denominational world. And I started to do some history for you about, you know, when did this denomination do this and when did this one do that. Basically, you can chart it. You don't even need a timeline. You just start with the most liberal first uh, and go down the list toward more conservative. Okay. Uh, Methodists did it pretty early and then Episcopalians and Presbyterians and on down the line. And... Since churches of Christ are basically conservative and very Bible-based, uh, it's come much slower to the churches of Christ. But in case you think 
It hasn't come. That's what I picked all of our signs of the times for, uh, so that you can see it is a reality. Uh, All of these quotes on here, and they are quotes from websites, uh, Church of Christ congregation websites. A lot of others that are associated with Churches of Christ that have changed their name, uh, where they don't have Church of Christ in their name anymore. I didn't put any of those on here. This is just folks that still call themselves Churches of Christ and have changed ginger roles in their congregation. So these are specific congregation websites, and let's just work through them a little bit and you'll get the flavor. Uh, One in California says on their website, God calls men and women to use their gifts in all aspects of the church's life. Another one in California, uh, we are a more progressive church of Christ that is gender inclusive. We try to live out our Christian walks without the legalism and fundamentalism that has given so many churches of Christ a bad name. One in Connecticut, we pursue the integration of each person as an active participant in God's work in the world. This includes welcoming both men and women to serve. Our belief, after extensive study of scriptures, is that as far as God is concerned, there is no distinction between what a man or a woman may do in any gathering of our congregation. Let me just stop there a minute because that kind of hits the point that I want us to get out of this. Uh, All of these folks that have changed, that have decided now that they ought to be gender inclusive and all that, when they make the change... They make a statement like that, that we have studied the Scriptures after long study of the Scriptures, and we have decided this is what God wants. Now, that's noble, and I understand all that, but what's amazing about it is when you think that for 2,000 years, nobody stumbled on that. It's, It's such a change that... You, you kind of say, hold it now, what's, what's going on here? Okay. Uh, you look at the history of theology, the history of Christian doctrine, and there really haven't been many huge discoveries <laughs> over 2,000 years. You know, you discover new things in science. You discover some new formula in mathematics. But when the apostles started the church, and the church started out a few years after Jesus was there, you know, things were pretty well settled. And over the period of 2,000 years, yeah, there's heresies arise, and they arise repeatedly. And people say, no, that's not what the Bible says. And scholars have been studying very much. So what's amazing about this topic particularly, is that so many congregations all kind of at once have seriously studied the Bible and discovered a new thing. Decided that God's will isn't what we thought it was. And that's just an amazing thing. (laughs) Kind of a surprising thing. Um, Next one, Illinois. 
Uh, they explain how they operate their congregation. We have a five-person leadership team. Uh, I don't know. I couldn't figure out if they, that's what they call elders or what, but they call it their leadership team. And it's got two men and the two women and three men. Uh, then they go on to explain that women regularly participate, have access to all elements of our worship service, including leading worship, giving our welcome address, delivering communion thoughts, praying, reading scripture, making announcements, and preaching a sermon. We are trying to be a gift-oriented church, concentrating on putting to work the gifts of each person in our community. If you read enough of these things, you'll find a little vocabulary, a little glossary of terms that help you understand how they explain it. And being gift-oriented, being gender-inclusive are some of the key words that you'll find over and over. In Michigan, church says, at our church, we believe that women can do anything except be an elder. Kind of an interesting thing. They've studied the scripture seriously, and they've decided, well, there is a line here. Okay. And others have studied the scriptures seriously and decided that, no, the line isn't there. It's here. Just another interesting point. Another one in Michigan. After many years of studying and prayerfully reflecting on women's roles in our public gatherings, <clears throat> excuse me, our church family concluded that part of being true to scripture was to include women in various capacities while embracing unity and peace. The result is that both men and women share in the responsibilities of serving during our assembly through communion, Bible reading, prayer, and testimony. Okay? So they also have drawn a line there, and the line is you can a woman can do some public things in worship, but evidently the way I read this, she can't preach yet. Okay? So they've seriously studied it for years and prayerfully reflected, and here's where... They've decided God's will is. One in New York. This congregation is an early leader in the gender equality and gender inclusive movement. It had the first husband and wife preaching team in the churches of Christ. Uh, It is fully inclusive, all levels of church involvement and leadership. Oklahoma. We have no gender specific offices, roles, or traditions in our congregation's life and practices. That's pretty sweeping. Nothing is gender specific. Anybody can do anything. Texas, uh, an announcement on their website. We welcome Ann, I didn't put her last name in, our new co-preacher at the so-and-so Church of Christ. Another one in Texas. We are an ecumenical, gender-inclusive, kingdom-centered body of Christians serving the city of so-and-so. This congregation is gender-inclusive at all levels of service, ministry, and leadership. And the last one is from Texas also. Another tradition we have here at such-and-such church is the participation of women in our worship services in prayer, reading, or serving the Lord's Supper. After years of study, we have come to see God leading us to this practice as a way of declaring that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So after uh, years of study, uh, God is leading them into this practice. Okay, so there's some of the terminology and some of the the few that uh, I shared with you from different websites. 
that's the science of the times. It's what's happening. It's what's going on within the churches of Christ, and we'll focus mainly on that and the, the reasoning within our brotherhood. Okay, how do we understand that? How do and if you don't go on vacations, don't go anyplace else, you always stay at Northside. Uh, all of this might have been really shocking to you. I mean, you re, if you read the papers, you see that the Episcopalians are trying to decide whether to ordain women or not, and and all of that actually. Most of them have moved past that and aren't worried about ordaining women. Now they're worried about ordaining homosexuals. Uh, they've moved on to that. But there are still a few mainstream places that <clears throat> are arguing about the roles of women. But in general, most of them have conceded that and moved on. So we'll focus mainly on the, the churches of Christ. Uh, why, if we're going to understand this, that's the question, why has this change happened? Why has it been so rapid? Why has it been so sweeping, if you will, in the religious world? And why is it moving fairly quickly in a number of churches of Christ? Okay. First answer is society changed. If some of you have been asleep for 50 years, you might not have noticed that. But society has changed. It has changed significantly. Uh, the gender equality movement, if you want to call it that, started in the 60s and resulted in civil rights legislation, anti-discrimination legislation. Women got included in that. You can't discriminate because of gender. Okay. Now, when those laws were passed, uh, they're just like any other law. They sound kind of easy when you pass them, but then applying them is the tricky part. Okay. Now, since I lived through all of this, uh, I can explain some of it. I remember most of it. Uh, and some of you younger ones won't believe a word I say from now on because it's just so unbelievable to you. Uh, if I tell you that when I was in elementary school, I don't think there were any male elementary school teachers. That was a woman's job to teach elementary kids. Um, and I suppose the high percent majority still is, but uh, in general, it's much more accepted now. Uh, that was strictly a woman's role then. Uh, when I went to high school, <clears throat> and I didn't go to some strange occult high school, I went to Wichita North. There were basically no girls' sports. Uh, if I remember, I should have got the yearbook out and looked, but if I remember, uh, we had girls' gymnastics, and there was kind of a field hockey thing that they did that nobody paid any attention to. Okay. Other than that, girls didn't play sports. We, we picked six cheerleaders, six, the six prettiest, nicest, most wonderful girls in school, and they were the cheerleaders. And other than that... If you weren't a gymnast, you got in the journalism club or something like that, that was it, but not athletics. Okay? Uh, I remember I went to Oklahoma Christian first year and I spotted some girl across the way that had on a letter jacket, and that was kind of strange to see. And uh, I asked somebody, who's that? A lot of people around her and stuff seemed kind of popular, and they said, oh, that's so-and-so. She's all state. I said, all state at what? 
I said, oh, it's a basketball player in Oklahoma. I said, girls play basketball? I said, I told you you wouldn't believe this. It just didn't happen then. It did in a few states. Iowa played girls basketball, but they played six on six instead of five on five. Uh, so it was just different times. Uh, and the reason they played that was because girls didn't have the endurance, the stamina to run all the way up and down the court. So three of them played offense and three of them played defense. I'm not joking with you folks. I'm telling you true stuff here. Okay. Uh, when I went to college, got into the <coughs> College of Engineering, <coughs> there weren't any girls in the College of Engineering. Okay. Unheard of. Didn't happen. It was all boys. Okay. Uh, when I started my work career in the business world, uh, there were no female managers to speak of. This was in the manufacturing world. And some businesses, some uh, organizations, yeah, it was more acceptable. But in the manufacturing world, it was men. There weren't any women in managerial roles, in supervisory roles. In fact, we didn't call them supervisory roles. They were foremen for men. Foremen. Okay. Couldn't hire a woman to be a foreman, you know, obviously. Okay. No, that's the way it was. And this is not that many years ago. This is in the, the, <clears throat> the 70s when I started my career there. Uh, now... The laws got passed that you couldn't discriminate. The laws got passed that everybody had to have equal opportunity, equal opportunity employment commission, etc. All of that happened, so we had to adapt to it. We had to make it happen. And it didn't happen easily. It didn't happen overnight because there were in place obstacles, there were traditions, there were attitudes, there were institutionalized practices that were hard to break. Okay. And some of you lived through the same times, I'm sure, and understand exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, we had quotas. For a while, that was a big thing, was... Human Resources had quotas and said, all right, this year, uh, what we got to do to keep the federal government from finding us is we got to have this many females or minorities or whatever the law said you can't discriminate against. So we had quotas. Okay? And certain people were worth certain points. And I know this sounds weird, but it's really true. Okay. Uh, I was a manager at the time in GE, and I had a group of supervisors working for me. I actually had a group of foremen working for me uh, until I hired a female. Then I had to start calling them supervisors. Okay? Now, I did that not because the quotas told me I had to. I did it because I thought she would be the best supervisor. She applied for the job, and... I thought she'd be good at it, and I hired her, and everybody thought she was crazy and thought I was crazy. Okay. This was in the mid-70s, and the law said I couldn't discriminate, but the traditions, the practices, all of that were such that this was weird. 
to hire a female supervisor. And it caused problems. You know, you've got all of these practices and things you're used to. Uh, one thing we were used to was once a month we'd have a foreman's party. Meet over at the park and we'd cook some steaks and everybody would socialize and all. What do you do when you got a girl now? Okay, things change. Used to, if you needed a couple of managers to go to a site and check something out, you put them on a plane and you put them in a hotel room to share and they did their job and came home. What do you do if one's a girl now? Yeah, we had to work through all those things. Yeah. So we had quotas that we had to <clears throat> meet. I'm, I'm just telling you how hard this was to change to show you how strange this change is. But we worked through that. In fact, I was... I was golden, Doug, because as a manager, I had one woman working for me. She was worth a point. And I had one black guy with a Spanish surname. That was three points. Okay? Human resources would not mess with me. You know? If they <laughs> they'd try to tell me to do something, I'd say, I'm going to lay Tony off. You know, and they said, whoa, that's two points. You know, we can't do that. And we joke about it a little bit. That's the way the world worked. Is we had quotas to make this change happen. Okay, um, we we had affirmative action kind of things. Okay, we've got to do some things uh, to move this direction, and so we won't be discriminatory anymore. So as managers, when we made up a team or we made up a committee or anything, we had to think about that. Well. Golly, we got eight people on the committee. We we got to put a woman or two on there, and we got to put a minority or two on there. And it's kind of condescending in in some way, but it's the way the world worked. I'm telling you truth here. Okay. Attitudes had to change uh, hugely, especially in this gender role, which is I'm mainly on here. Uh, <clears throat> not 40 years ago, but closer to 15 years ago, between 10 and 15 years ago, I was consulting and I worked with a company here in town and the, the owner wanted to transition to a different management team than he had. And he had a female that worked for him that he said, she can run this company. I want her on the management team. Okay. Well, the old shop manager that was on the management team was old-fashioned. He was Cro-Magnon, you know, I mean, and he wasn't going to have anything to do with a girl telling him anything. Yeah, this isn't 50, 40 years ago, this is just a dozen years ago. Yeah. So we had to work through that process and get him out of the system, basically, before she could be part of the system. And she's done great. She's excellent at the job and still doing it. Uh, she does run the company now. So I'm saying this change took place in society not uh, just naturally or not without pain. It had to be forced to happen. Okay. So that's the first clue to understanding the times is that when society changes, uh, there's some work involved in overcoming the obstacles. Now, once that happened, once we worked through that pretty much, 
then the societal norm became one that women could basically do everything. And I know people still complain there's a glass ceiling and this and that and on and on, but and may be true to some point, but in general, uh, there's equal opportunity these days. Now, that being in society began to put great pressure on churches, on the religious world, to adapt. Okay? Now, churches have to go through the same process of changing attitudes and traditions and practices and, and all of that to some degree. But here's the amazing thing that we're going to stop with. Churches also have something else that's a problem. Scripture. Now, that doesn't bother some religions because of the more liberal ones that don't aren't that uh, uh, in love with Scripture anyway. It's not much of an impediment to them. If they want to change something, they kind of do it anyway. But for a Scripture-based group of people like us, it's not only the societal change, but it's also how do you deal with Scripture? So the second part of understanding the times is how did these churches that I just put their quotes on here, how did they get through this Scripture reasoning? How did they possibly do that? I mean, they all say that after many years of studying and prayerfully reflecting, we decided here's what God wants. How'd they do that? And that's very instructive about how to think and how to read Scripture. So we're going to work on that, finish up next week. Um, But we'll quit there. Churches, if they want to change, you've got to go through the same problems, except there's the additional problem of Scripture, which has traditionally, consistently been understood to teach male leadership for 2,000 years. How do they deal with that? And how do we think about Scripture? So we'll tackle that next time and finish up our Understanding the Time series for the year. Lesson is yours. If you're here tonight and want to respond to the Lord's invitation, we want you to. Uh, We're going to stand and sing a song and invite you to come. Let's stand and sing.